0: You are
1: now tuned in to the Jags Den Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Jags Den Podcast. Of course, you all know who I am. James Johnson, managing editor of the Jaguars Wire, a.k.a. Sports underscore Don, as you all know me on Twitter um, here with another action pack episode. As we all know, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars were able to acquire a win. On the opening week of NFL football, week one against the New York Giants at East Rutherford on their own turf at MetLife Stadium. Uh, Of course, we couldn't be happier about that as they uh, won that by a score of 20 to 15. We're going to talk about the ins and the outs of that game and also afterwards we will also talk on the upcoming game week to the most anticipated game on the Jaguars schedule for Jaguars fans and that is against the New England Patriots who we faced in the AFC Championship and have been looking to get revenge on ever since that moment but before we get into everything and get into the show itself Uh, You all know where you can follow us. You already know where you can get connected with us. Jaguarswire.usatoday.com. And you can, of course, follow this podcast at Jagsden Podcast. The site on Twitter, you can follow that as well at The Jaguars Wire. And of course, feel free to follow my comrades who couldn't be with me today. As I told you all, you know, Jacob and uh, Phil, you know, they got day jobs, which is understandable. Got to handle those bills. But feel free to follow them as well on Twitter at underscore Jadella for Jacob and under, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and also at Phil the Filipino for Phil. So shout outs to them. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can get the guys back. On the podcast soon and uh, get I'll it, get it going as a crew again. So uh, that being said, also, you guys could follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Spotify, you name it. Um, And also, most notably, you can follow us and the USA Today podcast network on Audioboom.com. So feel free to check that out as our comrades. um, You know, I think we got a podcast for all 32 teams now, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. But uh yeah, if you you know you're interested in any of the other teams in the league and want some analysis on them, uh feel free to check us out on Audio Boom as um we are there as a group. So that being said, let's start the show by getting into some quick hits. As you all know, um the most notable of those quick hits is probably the news about Leonard Fournette who left Sunday's game. Early, uh, I think it was the second quarter, uh, late in the second quarter, if I'm not mistaken, with a hamstring injury. Of course, as you all saw on the Jaguars wire, not too soon after at the end of the game, you know, when all the players are shaking each other's hands and, you know, they're signing jerseys and whatnot. Uh, Josina Anderson from ESPN, uh, she caught up with Leonard for briefly, uh, roughly like a 10 second conversation, asked him. How did he feel about the injury, and and would he be able to go against the Patriots? As we all know, like I said, that's a very anticipated game. And uh, he sounded confident that he would be back. Then afterward, of course, you know, they they get Doug Marone in the post-game press conference. Uh, He also confirmed that the doctors told him that it wasn't really that big of a hamstring injury. To kind of just paraphrase him, he, he said... Uh, that the hamstring injury wasn't in a bad spot or or something to that effect. But all that being said, it simply looks like a case that Leonard Fournette um, won't be going for a substantial amount of time. At least that's how he is leading it on to be. And that's how the staff is leading it on to be. But time will tell. I think he's fine. Um, I think he'll play against the Patriots if I had to guess. Uh, But again, I'm no doctor or or nothing like that or a trainer. And we'll monitor that throughout the week, of course, on the Jaguars wire with our injury reports on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. As for the other big injury that was notable, and this is one that we didn't hear about until like after the game on Monday, as one of the Jaguars beat reporters, I forgot who it was, reported that rookie linebacker, Leon Jacobs, who was starting in his first regular season game, uh, was seen in a boot on his left leg, I think it was. And um, so that'll be worth monitoring. I mean, sometimes when that does happen, typically you do see it the next day after the game. And sometimes those players are able to go during the next game. So uh, it's something worth monitoring again, just like the Fournette situation. But at the same time, um, I wouldn't overreact, being that it's a cast or or whatever it was that they saw on his leg just yet. Um, we didn't even see the injury happen on the field, so it's kind of hard to judge exactly what happened. But again, it's just something that we should monitor throughout the week. Um, as he he very well could play. Uh, we don't know at this point, but he very well could play against the New England Patriots. Um, because as I said, you know we're gonna need the whole squad and all of the starters to beat them as the AFC champions. So those were the only injuries or notable injuries worth reporting tomorrow. Of course, like I said, we're going to have the injury report up on Wednesday and, and um, we can kind of further judge, you know, uh, who got hurt and who left the game um injured and whatnot and, and kind of gauge or, or begin to gauge who will be able to play and who won't be able to play. That said, um on to the next topic or the next quick hit um Dante Fowler Jr is back uh served his week suspension against the New York Giants and uh now he will be able to go against the New England Patriots who he actually uh, had a good game against um in the AFC championship got two sacks that game against Nate Solder um who actually Yannick and Gakwe beat up on this week this Sunday at MetLife Stadium now he's a giant so uh, that that was fun to see, and we're going to talk about that later. So I digress from my point. Dante Fowler is back, though, um, to make room for that transaction of him being back. Of course, they had to let somebody go, and that was Michael Bennett, who was one of the surprise, uh, I guess you could say one of the surprises on the Final 53, uh, though he did have a good preseason. Um, you know, he spent the last two years on IR 2017 and 2016. Um, so... That being said, uh, the Jaguars decided to cut ties with him, and um, you know it's not overly concerning. Um, they they have plenty of depth or plenty of uh, of defensive linemen, should I say, that can play the three technique or, or the backup three technique behind Malik Jackson. One of those notably being Taven Bryan, <clears throat> of course, uh, rookie. Excuse me again, y'all, rookie first round pick. Uh, of this year and also um you know Avery Jones can play it even though you know they put him at nose a lot he could play it because as you all have seen in the past they put him on the field with my man Marcel Darius who is playing at the nose tackle so you know they, they have options there not a big hit to lose Bennett there wish him the best however and uh the last quick hit of the day Miles Jack was nominated yesterday. I'm recording this on Tuesday, by the way. Yesterday being Monday, was nominated for AFC Player of the Week. As we all know, he had a phenomenal game. Um, for those of you that have read the Jaguars wire and saw the game to yourself, uh, 10 tackles, had the pick six, and um, uh, you know, he just balled out you know, in in his debut. Well, I won't call it his debut because he has played middle before. But I guess like this is like his official his first official full time year as the full time linebacker in the middle. Uh so he, he he's starting that on the right note in other words. So uh that good kudos to him um according to the Jaguars themselves. Um this makes him the third player in Jaguars history to post more than 10 sacks an interception and a touchdown in a single game. Uh, the only two others to do that was of course his teammates, Telvin Smith or his teammate Telvin Smith on the weak side. And also Jack's great, Mike Peterson, who currently, as we all know, is a coach with the, uh, I think it's, uh, South Carolina. Yeah. The, the Gamecocks right now, he's an outside linebackers coach with them. Uh, so shout outs to Mike Pete and, uh, Hope that goes well, except when they play the Georgia Bulldogs. But uh, otherwise, I hope that goes well uh, up there with Will Muschamp. But I digress from my point. Uh, Miles Jack, AFC defensive player, or nominated for it at least, uh, AFC defensive player of the week. Of course, as Jags fans, we couldn't be happier for him to start off on the right note at a, you know a position that we hope he'll be prosperous at. Uh, In the place of Paul Puzzlesny. So all that said, now it's time to actually get into the actual part of the show today. Um, As I said, I'm probably not going to hold y'all too long as I did in the last solo pod. Uh, Still, we're going to review Sunday's 20 to 15 victory. That feels good to say because it wasn't that long ago. At least to me, it don't feel like that. You know, the Jaguars were losing season openers and losing a lot of other games in general. So, you know, you can never grant it, you know, it wasn't the best win, it wasn't the prettiest win. You can never take winning for granted, especially as Jaguars fans. Uh couldn't be happier about it. Are gonna talk on the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I, I guess we you know, we could start at you know, at the most important position on the field. That's the quarterback position, of course. Uh Blake Bortles, you know, it, it it's funny with what Blake uh in the beginning of the game he makes the throw to Keelan and it looks like, you know, he's he's gonna ball out and, and have one of those games that we saw like against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, and, and this is not to knock him, but um uh that being said, you know, uh later down the road, as we all know, lost to Leonard Fournette. Um he ultimately finished the game and I'm talking about Blake Bortles here. 18 of 33 for 176 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Uh, he was sacked once for eight yards, if I'm not mistaken, uh, had a overall or a finish with a rating of 67.2. So, I mean, not his best performance and, and certainly not his worst, you know, somewhere in between. Uh, you, of course, you would you would have liked better, but he did what he had to do to get him a win, you know. And, and um, one thing I guess we can commend him for, Uh, as hard as I am on Blake is, uh, you know, when he threw the interception early in the first quarter to uh, my man, Jack rabbit, or or should I say, um, uh, his name is escaping me here. What's the cornerback name? Janoris Jenkins. I should know that because he went to the university of Florida, but uh, yeah, when he threw the pick to Janoris Jenkins, he didn't let him get, get, he didn't let that pick get him down. Which, which is a good thing, you know, he, he didn't throw any more either, although he could have, uh, you know, it was one that Jack Rabbit almost picked off again, the one to Niles Paul, which Niles Paul should have called afterwards, and that would have been a touchdown. And, you know, so many missed opportunities from the offense in general. Uh, but that being said, um, you know, Blake did what he had to do to, to for the Jays to win the game. Um, Again, I mean, they they paid him. In the beginning of the season, to be the quarterback of this team, they extended him. Should I say to be the quarterback of this team and lead this team, and and you would like to see him as at least as a passer do a little better than that. Uh, but but still, nonetheless, it's early in the season. He's always proven to be a guy a more of a rhythm or a momentum type player. So hopefully, um, down the road he can build upon that. And, uh, you know, and, and play some better football. Now, I mean, granted, he had to do this without Leonard Fournette. But again, that's what you get paid the big bucks for. So not going to knock Blake Bortles. Like I said, uh, he did what he had to do to ultimately get the Jags to win. And we, like I said, we can't take wins for granted as Jaguars fans. And that's all that matters on uh, Blake Bortles' part. So at the running back position, we already talked about Leonard Fournette, of course, uh he he looked great, like I said, when he was in the game. Nine carries, 41 yards. Uh that was good for a 4.6 average. Uh so can't be can't complain about that. Um then the injury occurred in the second quarter, and my man had to come in and, and and finish the job. My man TJ Yeldon, as you all know, me and Phil have long been on the Yeldon Hive, said it in the last podcast, said it in plenty of podcasts before. But my man T.J. Yeldon comes in and, and, and gets the job done. Granted, you know, on the stat sheet, you know, it, it doesn't look all that pretty. 14 yards for 51 yards, uh, a 3.6 average. But that isn't telling of, uh, you know, the job he did. Uh, he got the receiving touchdown, too, by the way. So, you know, that, that was the first score of the regular season for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, uh, you know, TJ Yeldon in, in this game, he just showed that, again, he can do it all for the Jacksonville Jaguars, whether that's block, um, you know, or run between the tackles. Granted, in the second half, he didn't run between the tackles all that well, but that was because, you know, the Giants were stacking the box and executing well. And, you know, they, they, they were clogging up those holes, you know, knowing that, we were going to run the ball, you know, we didn't exactly fool them. You know, we were kind of predictable, which, I mean, you know what? We'll we'll actually get into that, too, actually with offensive coordinator Nate Hackett. I know a lot of people complained about the play calling in in that game. But, look, at the end of the day, I think Nate Hackett looked at it this way. And and the Jaguars and their staff have been around each other for a long period of time to where they, they know what kind of team they are. So in Nate's mind, he wasn't trying to call any crazy plays or or risk any throws. I mean, and there's going to come a time where he's going to have to do that. And we all know why he didn't, you know, call a crazy game. And that's because, you know, Blake Bortles, you know, is, is sporadic as a passer. But knowing this, he didn't call anything out of hand, didn't try to push it because he knew at the end of the day that his defense was going to come up big for him. He knew that the Giants – when he looked on the opposite end of the ball, their offense couldn't do anything with our defense. So for those of you out there that, that are complaining about the play calling, look, Nate Hackett wasn't necessarily trying to win the game, at least in my eyes he wasn't. He knew the defense was going to come up big, and he knew the Giants' offense couldn't do anything with the Jags' defense. So he, he he basically just, in this case, sat on the lead. And, you know, we, we complained about that in the AFC Championship. But the thing about it is, they have Tom Brady, and I'm talking about they as in the New England Patriots. This time, aside from Odell Beckham, there, there, there wasn't really a threat to to make it to where Nate Hackett should have been like, hey, I got to increase the lead. These, this team can come back on me from behind because at the end of the day, you know, while they do have talent on the Giants' offense, at the same time, they're still trying to mesh that talent together, learning a new. A new system from uh, my man uh, Shula's son, um, Coach Mike Shula, who's their offensive coordinator. So uh, needless to say, like, they're not the well-oiled machine is what I'm trying to say that the Patriots are. And our defense, uh, as Hackett was predicting, held their own. And uh, ultimately, we won the game. So I won't even, you know, this time I won't even... uh, complain about the play calling on that because I mean I, I understand what the game plan was and uh the Jaguars without Leonard Fournette especially were just simply on offense trying to get through the game without creating any turnovers and giving the Giants extra opportunities. And and that's exactly what happened. And the result was a twenty to fifteen score. So back to TJ Yeldon. Um, as I said came in, he blocked well, uh he did what he had to do um, yeah, now granted, he's a guy that of course we we do know that needs somebody to compliment him with that probably being Fournette or Corey Grant. Um, but you gotta give him kudos for coming in there, uh, helping the Jags to finish the job. And um, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll see him in a uh in on the field often uh next week with Leonard Fournette and perhaps a lethal dose of Corey Grant, who we all saw carve up the Patriots defense last year or should i say in the afc championship now granted one thing that we have to be aware of this time is at least based off week one the patriots defense looks a little better but again we're going to talk on that later and i kind of digress from my point so in terms of um the receivers keelan cole of course led the way three catches one of which we already talked about 54 yards had a total of four targets I had an average of 18 uh, yards of carry. A uh, D. D. Westbrook wasn't too far behind him. Five catches for 51 yards, um, had an average of 10.2. And uh, he had a total of six targets with his longest being, uh, or his longest reception, should I say, being for 20 yards. So, uh, you, you know, the receiving core now, to get into them, you know, they – they they weren't targeted a lot, obviously, and they weren't a, like a significant part of the game plan. But one thing I did take away from them is when they were called upon, at least, and the ball was thrown to them accurately, uh, they delivered. Especially, I mean, we already talked, as I said, about the first reception by Keelan Cole. But if you look at what Didi Westbrook did, I think it was in the second quarter or whatever. They got a drive going under him where they hit him twice for uh, two big games. But that that's just telling of what Didi has done, and that's telling of what I've already reported on him in training camp. You know, when the Jags need a big play and a big-time throw, you know, Didi has delivered, and that showed uh, this week against the Giants, and that's a guy that they need to get more involved in the game plan. My brother-in-law, who's a Jags fan too, uh, he – he often has said that to him, D.D. Westbrook is the best receiver on the team. And I can see why he, he under why he says that and why he believes that. Because, uh you know, D.D. is a guy that, you know, they call him or should I say my man Mike K from First Coast News calls him diving D.D. because he makes all of the acrobatic catches as we did already see uh, against the Giants. So, yeah, that's a guy that, you know, I could argue that maybe needs to be put in over um my man Dante Moncrief. But that's another story for another time. But look for D.D. Westbrook to be a big part of next week's game plan because, you know, the Jaguars are obviously going to have to throw the ball and do it effectively to beat the Patriots. It's going to come a time, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Even if Leonard Fournette is back, you know, there's going to come a time where they have to to make some plays through the air Blake Borders is going to have to get it done, uh, and his receivers are going to have to help him out. So we'll see how that goes. Again, uh, kind of just digressing from my point, though. But, uh, you know, those guys, you know, the opportunities that were presented for them on the receiving court, uh, you know, they impressed. So to continue on with the offensive line, they started, the. as I said, they started the game well, especially when Leonard Fournette was in there. Um, but, of course, you know, the Giants got on to the game plan. Uh, you know, in the second half, of course, and they started clogging those holes in the run game. You know, they, they the Jaguars' offense was predictable. Again, Nate Hackett wasn't trying to exactly fool anybody. He was just trying to make sure they took care of the ball and, and just held on to the lead in this case. But, um, you know... The The offensive line started the game blocking well in terms of a run blocking line. Uh, it didn't go exactly well afterwards in the second half. And, and one of those guys that people heavily critiqued in the process, of course, was uh, free agent acquisition, who who we made the highest paid guard at the time. Andrew Norwell, who didn't have a good game, got a penalty. Um, He was beat on a few plays. But, um, look, guys, the the thing about Norwell is, look, this guy has played so many games at an all pro level to the point where that shouldn't be a concern. You know, everybody has bad game. So that being said, uh, you know, I I look for Norwell to uh, to turn it up in the next game. And I'm I'm not expecting that to be the regular for him um, is what I'm trying to say. So pump the brakes on crucifying him for the performance he had and it wasn't good, but, uh, you know, he, he, he probably is going to step it up going forward. And, um, you know, I don't think there's anything to worry about there, but the rest of the offensive line for the most part, you know, they, they didn't have a disastrous game. Um, I know PFF said Cam Robinson didn't give up a pressure, which is good though. He did have the one penalty, but I mean, if, if that is, you know, what we get out of cam granted now it was a crucial penalty, I think it came on a third down or a conversion or something but it was a a crucial penalty. But you know, I I'll, I'll take that out of Cam, you know, if he can have a penalty on a a less crucial play, I'll take that out of him. You know, that that basically means based off of what PFF said, uh he held his end of the bargain in terms of protecting Blake Bortles's blind side. And, uh, you know, if he can get the penalties cleaned up and whatnot, then, you know, I, I think he's going to have a good season. So we'll we'll monitor that and, and see how he does throughout the season. Um, but, you know, that that's a, a impressive feat for him, though. I mean, like, like the Giants were without Olivier Vernon, didn't really have any marquee pass rushers. But still, that kind of does mark improvement for Cam Robinson. So the other guys I didn't and and this is a good thing. I didn't really notice anything uh, to really critique them about. Um, you know, Parnell and, and AJ can, and, you know, that's especially good for AJ can because in years past, I've been able to point out, Hey, this guy had a atrocious game. And, and and this goes back to what we were saying about him at training camp. He was impressive. And and this time I didn't notice him, you know, getting beat or anything. So that that's a good thing. Uh, he looks to be much improved. And um, as we all know, he's playing on a contract year. So, um you know, kudos to AJ can, though. I haven't seen all of the film, um, I mean, I've seen the game live when it first happened, but I haven't really broke down the, the film in terms of the offensive line and probably won't at this point in the week, but I mean, he didn't really have any plays that stood out as catastrophic or, or a catastrophe as we've seen in the past. And, um, you know, Linder held his end of the deal coming off that knee injury and, uh, you know, overall, you know, you, you they didn't, like I say, they didn't, they weren't overly impressive, but the offensive line, uh, certainly held their end of the bargain. Protected Blake Bortles. well, we'll say that in terms of pass protection. Just uh towards the end of the game they just couldn't really move anybody off of the ball in terms of a running offense. So hopefully that'll get fixed next week because we're gonna need the run. We're gonna need the rush attack to beat the New England Patriots. And um slow down the clock, of course. And hopefully I mean that all depends on if Leonard Fournette'll be there too. So um, I look for that to get cleaned up, and you know that those guys are gonna have to have a good game next week. So, um, yeah. Aside from that, that's uh, that's my notes on the offense, on defense. I mean, where can I start, man? Like my man Miles Jack, just he stole the show, as we already talked about in the show, and uh, you know, he was arguably the player of the game, made the play of the game, the pick six from Eli Manning uh, that he took back, and that ultimately is what won the Jags the game. So. Uh, you know, he he's the guy that stood out the most, of course. Um, I guess sticking with the linebackers here, uh, Telvin Smith. He, he didn't have his best game, but I mean, this is a guy that you know has played like on an All Pro level, Pro Bowl level for several years. You know, he's gonna have one or two bad games, so you know we're not gonna hold that against him. I mean, he's not perfect. Uh, that being said, um, Leon Jacobs already talked about him. Played roughly 11 snaps. Um, Then he didn't look out of place for a rookie, in my opinion. I mean, I know it was one play where um he looked like he took some false steps and got out of position on a play. I think it was one of the first plays of the game. But, I mean, aside from that, you know, he didn't really make any catastrophic mistakes or anything. Uh, of course, we'll have to see where his injury leaves him going into next week. Um, But, you know, he he was okay. For the most part, Um, as for the defensive line, uh, again, what can I say, man? Impressive showing. Impressive showing these guys. I mean, Calais Campbell, who had a quiet camp. And I've been talking to, um, to people about this is, you know, Calais had one of those camps to make you wonder if he was slowing down or or make you wonder if he because we've seen this in his first year with the Jaguars, if he was holding back. For because as we all know, Tom Coughlin camps and Dub Marone camps are rigorous. If he was holding back, you know, to be ready for the regular season, and it looks like he was just holding back to be ready for the regular season because he came out there and dominated. Granted, he was going against one of the worst tackles. And Giants fans will will agree with me on this. One of the worst offensive tackles in football, and Eric Flowers just straight dominated him had him on skates the whole game. Yannick Ngakwe uh, dominated him as well. And, um, you know, that, that was the big thing coming into this game. I, I told all the, those people close around me, and I, I did write an article on it as well, that you look at the Giants' offensive line, for one, they're a work in progress. For two, they're they're young in some areas, and, and three, they just they got players that aren't good on their offensive line. And the Jaguars' defensive line should have dominated them, and that's exactly what they did, ranging from the interior to the edge. The guys up, Malik Jackson and and Avery Jones, and, and Marcel Darius was making plays. So you know, just an all around impressive performance from the defensive line. Can't complain about what they did. As for the secondary. Of course, there was the uh, big matchup between Jalen Ramsey and Odell Beckham Jr., which, you know, everybody was hyping up and heading into the game. But truth be told, it wasn't very much to it. I mean, the Jaguars predominantly use zone coverage for the most part. And if the video at least, and and you all have seen the breakdown on JaguarsWire.com, and if you haven't go feel free to uh, please check that out. But based off the video that I saw on NFL.com, which was like a compilation of all of their head-to-head matchups, Odell only caught five balls on Ramsey when Ramsey was assigned to him, should I say. And also, he got less than 50 yards on him. I think it was like 47 or 48. Um, and, And that was partially due to One of the tackles that Ramsey made on him was for loss in the uh, late late in the second quarter. But when you look at it, a lot of Odell Beckham's success against Ramsey when they were in man to man was a result of rub routes or, or should I say Odell Beckham using one of Ramsey's teammates to kind of pick him off and get free. So clearly this was a this was a part of the game plan. And and Pat Shermer's game plan and and Mike Shuler's game plan was to find ways to get Ramsey off of Beckham in man to man situations. So I know at least on three and that, that might be the exact amount, at least on three of the five catches that Beckham caught when Ramsey was assigned to him. He got free as a result of using Miles Jack as a pick twice. And then, of course, it was the first play. In the well, or should I say, the court, uh, the play in the first quarter, where basically they used the rub route to bump AJ Boye and and Ramsey and Sterling Shepherd into each other, and and Beckham got free as a result of that. So the only play it, it came in the fourth quarter, late in the for, the fourth quarter, if I'm not mistaken, that at least I saw, or or that that video compilation of the ten plays that they were head to head uh showed. The only play that he caught on Ramsey that was really notable was a 15-yard out route, which he he ran late in the fourth quarter. Um, basically, he faked Ramsey to the inside as if he was going to run run a dig route. And for those of you who think I'm speaking gibberish, a dig route basically is when you run up the field 15 yards and you go straight in, like as is as in adjacent to uh, one of the yard markers. Uh, But instead, he faked to the inside and went to the outside for out route. And uh, he got Jalen Ramsey to bite, of course, uh, because, you know, Jalen Ramsey sometimes has been caught, you know, biting on those inside routes, trying to get a pick or whatever or or trying to get a deflection. He got Jalen Ramsey to bite, ran out to the outside, was open for like roughly 15 yards. But aside from that play. I mean, and I am like I said I would probably have to go through the whole film process and I, I did see the game live, but uh that that would just be a process in itself. I'm probably not going to do that. But from the compilation that I saw of the 10 head-to-heads that the, those two had, that was the no, the most notable play that he made on Ramsey without Ramsey being picked off by a teammate. So it it really, I mean, and that's not to knock Odell Beckham because as we all know he's an elite receiver but it, it, we didn't it didn't live up to the hype. We didn't get the matchups that we wanted. And and Ramsey hinted at that earlier in the in the the week, you know, going on to say that, you know, it's a team game. Would he basically at that moment was trying to say that the Jaguars weren't going to assign him in man-to-man covers to Odell Beckham. And we saw that as they only really had 10 head-to-head matchups. So that was a little bit of a disappointment. Um, I mean, it was good to see – them you know exchange jerseys and all of that as two of the ascendant players in the league and, and shake hands and all of that and be cool with each other that was all nice to see but in terms of the hype and you know everything building up into that matchup it didn't really live up to it and um for as for the rest of the secondary I mean they look fine in my opinion There, you know Barry Church to me and my um uh, my best friend who's also a Jags fan he he hates Barry Church. And not like hates him as a person, but like as a player. Uh but but Barry Church looked fine, man. He he's been impressive dating back to the preseason. He's been pretty impressive in my opinion. Um, yeah, he got beat deep on a route by Odell Beckham where they was in they were in quarters coverage or whatever. But I mean by that time. Eli Manning was under duress and he had to throw the ball early and it um and, and needless to say he missed Odell Beckham with his outstretched hands and it was an incompletion. Uh but you know aside from that and I think he might have had a penalty I'm talking about Barry Church here. He he didn't look all that bad. I mean, he held his own in coverage and came up and made tackles in the run game especially which we all know like that's a that's a specialty for safeties in this defense but uh, he had a good game to Sean Gibson didn't really look out of place or have any bad plays that I remember or, or neither did A.J. Boye, aside from, you know, the, the pick route or the rub route where him and Sterling Shepard and Jalen kind of ran into each other. But aside from that secondary hell, they're into the deal. I mean, of course, I know there were people complaining on Facebook and Twitter and social media that, you know, oh, Ramsey got cooked and it, it looked like the secondary got cooked by Odell Beckham, being that he had 111 yards. And yeah, yeah while 111 yards is a, um, I guess you could say that's a win for Odell Beckham. At the end of the day, the Jaguars didn't give up a touchdown. That's most importantly to him. And you could tell they game planned around making sure he didn't get. He didn't pop the top off of the coverage. So that's the most important part. And two, you you got to look at it from this perspective. The Jacksonville Jaguars didn't really know what they were getting from the, the offense of the, of the New York Giants because, as we all know, like I said, Pat Shermer is a new head coach. There's not a lot of film on, like, his scheme if you if we're being honest of course like you can go back and look when he was an offensive coordinator with the Vikings but you know so much probably has changed since then he's probably added his little tweaks and whatnot so you know there wasn't and of course you know Mike Shula is the offensive coordinator ultimately but with them being a new staff and a team that has never played a regular season game as a staff it wasn't really a concrete bit of film to go off of on what to expect for this team so I mean from that aspect you know they they took that they used that to their advantage and got Odell Beckham free with some rub routes and 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 you know picking off Jalen Ramsey to get him free uh and I mean kudos to them that's not even a knock on them but I say this to say that if you know, if the Jags had a substantial amount of film on what the the Giants' offense is, because at this point nobody really knows what the Giants' offense is, uh, you know, we we probably would have seen a better game from them in terms of of neutralizing Odell Beckham, or, or then again maybe we wouldn't have because he's just an elite receiver. But I, I wouldn't put too much into the 111 yards and no, Jalen Ramsey didn't get "quote unquote" cooked. By Odell Beckham, because at the end of the day, they only had 10 head to his uh, Odell Beckham only caught five passes on him and they were for less than 50 yards. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's a win for the Jaguars and Odell Beckham will probably tell you that, you know, he would have much rather have won the game than come away with 111 yards and, and no touchdown at that um, over losing the game, you know, like he would have chose winning over there as a priority. So like at the end of the day, if the Jags won, like what are we really complaining about? Is what I'm saying. So that being said, uh that that is my review on the actual game itself, week one got the W. Um and and you know we, we of course we have to make improvements here, there and everywhere. But nonetheless a win is a win. And you have to live week by week in the NFL. So um, on to the New England Patriots week two. Again, as I uh, said, and I'll reiterate, rematch of the AFC championship. Big game. One that's been circled, at least to Jags fan standard, as probably, uh, you know, the biggest game of the season. So they'll be coming home. Not only that, it'll be the home opener at TIAA Bank Field. So there's that. And, uh, you know, it's a game that simply the Jaguars will be looking to get revenge on because the Patriots ultimately stopped them from going to the Super Bowl, as did, uh, you know, as we'll we'll say the refs did and, um, and and plenty of other things like coaching mistakes and and this, that and the other. So. Um, I guess what I will do here is pretty much just give you a preview of, you know, the keys to win if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I say preview because I've already written about this actually for USA Today Sports Weekly magazine slash newspaper. So, Uh, Feel free to check that out. It'll be out on Wednesday. You can find those at your local newsstand uh, at the airports, um, hotels, wherever they sell USA Today Sports Weekly. Uh, Feel free to pick up one look in the NFL section and I will actually have my first regular season uh, review or regular season um, preview up of the Jacksonville Jaguars game against the New England Patriots. I also have up any home game that the Jaguars have. I'll be doing a review on that and it'll be in the paper and it comes out every Wednesday. So I digress from my point Um, in the preview that you guys can see uh, in the paper. Basically, one of the things I, I guess I can't tell you everything I talked about in it. But one of the things I talked about were the keys to victory. Um, and in the Jags case, and yes, I had to do keys to victory for the Patriots, too. That's part of the deal. But um, as hard as that was. But um, in terms of the Jag war side, I think and, and some of this stuff I didn't even put in the paper because you're limited to like a certain amount of words that you can uh, put in these articles. But um, for the Jags, first and foremost, what they must do, of course, is get Tom Brady on the ground. And, and get him on the ground often. And I know with the new helmet rules and the new quarterback rules, it's kind of going to be hard to do. But the Jaguars simply need to get to him and don't do any extracurricular stuff, slamming him down and and body slamming him and landing all on him. You know, get your point across, hit him, hit him in the target box and and don't be extracurricular with it. OK, and, and just hope for the best at that point. So, I mean, if you do it right. Hopefully, I mean, then you have, you. of course, you got the refs to worry about. If you do it right, though, you know, that'll start to wear on Tom Brady, as we have seen in the past. The teams that hit him the most are the teams that beat him. And we, in in our, I mean, for the Jaguars and their defense, they can't let the new rules change that perspective and that outlook. Because, I mean, there is no other way to beat Tom Brady. So, of course, they got to do that. And and, and and in their defense, their offensive line did play well against the um well, at least from what I saw, they did. They played well against the Houston Texans. Um, but again, the Houston Texans, uh, not to say they're overrated, but, you know, J.J. J. Watt hasn't gotten a sack in two years. So, you know, people overestimate his impact of the game. The guy simply you know probably isn't what he used to be and if he is it's going to take a while for him to get you know back to that because he really hasn't you know played significant football i mean i know he's played some games here and there but he hasn't played a, a full season in a while and he hasn't gotten a sack in roughly 2 years so you know people were expecting the texans defensive line to to dominate quote unquote against the um the Patriots. But the fact of the matter is the Jaguars' defensive line is a much more well-oiled machine than the Texans. And, and that is because they've been together longer or, I guess, more games consecutively they've been together. And, and they are a team that just simply – they're more talented. I mean, even Whitney, Whitney Merciless and Davion and Clowney, I think I would take the Jags' front seven – over the Texans any day, just for the simple fact that, you know, JJ White hasn't been in the equation for a while and he's kind of out of the loop in terms of that. I mean, even you could say the same for Merciless and, and, and Clowney. So, and, and Clowney's been injured a lot. So he, you know, it's he's missed a lot of games himself. And you know, that's why when, when people mention, and I'm all for a, pl- a player getting their money and this is probably why he wants a lot of money when, when he made the, I don't know if he was joking or not, like Stephen A. Smith said, but uh, he made the joke about, I think, making Khalil Mack money. But look, bro, at the end of the day, you haven't you haven't achieved what Khalil Mack has. OK, you you haven't been uh, all pro like Khalil Mack and you certainly haven't been as healthy as him. I'm all for you getting your money. Don't get me wrong. And I know you got to get every dollar you can because you don't know when an injury can can end all end it all in your career. But that being said. You ain't getting Khalil Mack money. At least I don't think so. And and I mean, that's not to say that Clowney don't deserve to get paid and, and de- deserve to get paid well. I'm just saying that to compare yourself to Khalil Mack and expect the money that he's getting is just asinine, in my opinion. So, I mean, I'm all for that brother getting his money, though, not to to misconstrue that. But, yeah, so much for that Khalil Mack type of check. But um, I digress from my point. The Jacksonville Jaguars, in my opinion, are a better defense because uh, they, they have better camaraderie. They've been together more consecutive games due to not being injured in their health. And I just think they're flat out more talented than the Texans. So that being said, I think the Jaguars will have more success against Tom Brady and the uh, New England Patriots. Being that their defense is better, but I guess ultimately time will tell. So the the other key to stopping them, of course, is stopping Rob Rob Gronkowski, who, if I'm not mistaken, he had like seven catches for 111 yards, and he just straight up decimated the Texans uh, secondary and, and linebacking core, point blank, period. And from that perspective, again, like I I go back to the AFC championship. I think the Jaguars are more suited from that part of the game to stop the Patriots, too, because as we saw in the AFC championship, Barry Church held his own against uh, Rob Gronkowski when he was covering him. Now, granted, Barry Church has had his share of issues in coverage and he's made his share of mistakes. But again, I think people people uh, critique him a little too much. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to get perfect play out of the strong safety position. You're just not. It's just too hard in today's game. It's a lot of ground to cover, and and it's a lot to ask of a safety that's, you know, upwards of 220 pounds or 210 pounds, 210 pounds in today's day and age. And, and the same for goes for free safeties as well. Like, with the way the rules are set up to cater to the passing game, it's just simply a lot of ground to cover for safeties these days and a lot of rules that go against them being successful. But again, I mean, I'm kind of digressing from my point. Barry church was holding his own against my man, Rob Gronkowski in the AFC championship. And of course he exited that game early need I say, but in the game, I think Rob only had one to two catches and like three targets or something like that. And they were just, they were minimal catches And and like I said, he eventually exited the game. So we don't know how it would have ended. But I mean, the Jaguars have already proven at a a grand stage, especially that they got the tools to stop Rob Gronkowski. And not to mention, they even put Jalen Ramsey on him a time or two who, who held his own against him, too. So the Jaguars have some maneuverability to cover Rob Gronkowski as opposed to how the Texans went about things. And don't ask me how the Texans went about things, because I didn't look into the game that much Um, but that being said I I think if you can do those two things get Brady on the ground and and constantly harass him and and beat up on Gronkowski too as well you can defeat the New England Patriots if the refs allow it to that again that's another key factor in this because for whatever reason when when teams play the New England Patriots you know it's always a, a play or two that the refs use to save them Um, But I mean, the things that you can control is getting heat on Brady and and beating up on Gronkowski and neutralizing him, making sure he doesn't necessarily uh, flourish in the passing game. And the crazy thing about it is Jalen Ramsey did say in uh, GQ magazine that the Jaguar staff did some analysis on Rob Gronkowski when he was facing like cornerbacks or whatever. And he wasn't nearly as, as successful. And I mean, I think if. You know, you have a Jalen Ramsey like player or athlete, which a lot of teams don't on your team. That could very well be true because he has the length. He has the recovery speed. He has the physicality to stick with Rob Gronkowski as if he was a a strong safety. I mean, and he also has like the the speed and agility. So that being said, you know, you you have to stop those two. Those are two things that as a defense, the Jaguars can control that a lot of others can't. And lastly, and, and most importantly, not least, Todd Wash has to call the right plays or the right scheme to beat the New England Patriots. We we've seen what happened when you play conservative against them in the AFC championship and stay in a shell like defense, a cover three like defense. They will come back and they will beat you now. Granted. The New England Patriots, another key in this is they don't have a elite receiver or a marquee receiver, especially with Julian Edelman being suspended for substance abuse or the substance abuse policy. You know, the Jacksonville Jaguars defensive backs are suited to beat up on the the Patriots receivers in man-to-man coverage. So that's the key here. Like, there isn't anybody that should be beating the Jaguars when they line up in man-to-man coverage in terms of their secondary Aside from Gronkowski, of course, there isn't a actual receiver that should be able to, to win a one on one against A.J. Boye or Ramsey or, or, or Tashawn Gibson or Church. And, and Todd Wash needs to use that to his advantage this time around. Get out of that conservative crap that you called in the last meeting with them in the AFC Championship. And I'm sure Tom Coughlin has been in his ear about this and all of the staff like how that play, or should I say how that game was called in general. It wasn't just wash. The offense did some things schematically that, you know, that you can't do against the Patriots. You can't expect to sit on the lead, as I said earlier. You know, there are teams you can sit on the lead against if you're the offense. This isn't one of those teams, so Todd Wash and Nate Hackett have to call the right scheme or should I say have to call the right type of game plan for this to work, okay? Get aggressive with the Patriots. Don't let Tom Brady sit back there and carve you up. Uh be don't be afraid to call man-to-man coverage at times. Heck, you need to blitz even more. I mean, you I think the Jaguars blitz like A handful of times, you can count on like one hand how many times they blitzed against the New England Patriots. And the New England Patriots knew that, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars are a team that prefers to get pressure on you with just four. But that being said... You have to do some unconventional stuff. You got to confuse them, you know what I mean? And, and in Todd, Wash's credit. He has been doing that. When you look at the preseason and you look at uh, Sunday's game against the New York Giants, you can see elements where he is trying to blitz more and, and trying to switch things up. And he's especially going to need to do that against the New England Patriots. So... I guess time will tell, but if, if Todd Wash runs a predominantly covered three scheme against the Patriots, especially late in this game, uh, it's going to take a lot of people off and, and rightfully so, especially if they lose the game. Now, if they win it, then it's okay. But you, you cannot do that. As Doug Peterson said, I mean, Doug Peterson flat out said it in his uh, documentary or his book or what it was, you know, he was looking at that game like, Hey, what are they doing? Like step on these guys next and finish the job. So yeah get aggressive, Todd wash. I mean, I know you're not listening to this, but you you have to be and I know Tom Coughlin, you know has told him that because Tom Coughlin knows what it takes to beat the New England Patriots and not, not only that though, the defensive coordinator that Tom, Tom Coughlin has used to defeat the Patriots is also on the team to give Wash help with these type of things. That's the crazy thing about it. That's Perry Fewell. And 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 for those of you who don't know who that is, by the way, that's the defensive backs coach. He was once Tom Coughlin's defensive coordinator. And and I think it was the second Super Bowl in recent history that the Giants won, uh that Feewell was the defensive coordinator. But he was he was the defensive coordinator of that game and called some good plays. So like you have somebody that you can like actually ask about like in terms of a game plan for help with. And and Tom Coughlin probably has made that, you know, has stressed that to Todd Wash and has probably given Todd Wash and um, Nate Hacking some tidbits on like what to do in terms of beating this team. So as for the offensive side, of course, the the Jaguars. We've said this multiple times. They're going to need Leonard Fournette back and predominantly healthy. I think they they probably will get that, but again, I'm not a doctor, so don't don't quote me on that. But I think if they can get around ninety percent back from that hamstring injury, and he can be successful and do what he did in the preseason, and do what he did against the Giants in the first and second quarter when he was available, I think the Patriots could be in some trouble. Granted, their defense does look a little better, but then again, the Jacksonville Jaguars offense is very talented. Despite how you know the second half of Sunday's game looked, you know they got an Andrew Norwell. They have you know in terms of run blocking. You know, they there's some maulers, they're some ballers. They got Linder, Norwell, both of which you can, you know, say are Pro Bowl talents, you know, and, and Cam Robinson, when he's dialed in, he's a very good run blocker. So uh, you know, they're gonna need Leonard Fournette to control the clock and run the ball. Uh, but again, when when it starts getting late in the game and you you're seeing these these stacked boxes, you gotta think outside of the box. You gotta make some plays in the passing game. Um, You know, you got to catch the Patriots slipping and you have to take some chances because that's how you beat this team. Okay, you're not going to beat them by Leonard Fournette in your way through the New England Patriots. It simply doesn't work that way. They can stack the box. And regardless as to if you think they're a good or bad defense right now, at this point, we don't know. But they can stack the box with defenders and stop the run, regardless as to how you see their talent level. That's not a hard thing to do on the NFL level. So if you're Nate Hackett, man, you you have to – you're going to have to have Blake Bortles make some plays with his arm. And, I mean, regardless as to if you think he can or not, you have to at least try. And that, that, that's the key element of this game. I mean, at the end of the day, I go back to this – we signed him to a contract extension, he's making the big bucks or so making more money now. Okay, it's gonna come a time where he needs to win the game with his arm, okay? And and not only that, this young man was was drafted third overall, okay? So if he doesn't have enough arm talent to compliment Leonard Fournette, who is a very good running back then, simply put, you got the you, you drafted the wrong guy, simply put. So we, I guess this game will be very telling of Blake Bortles too. not saying that he's going to have to make crazy plays or a crazy amount of plays in the passing game. But when the Jaguars need him the most, when they need a crucial third down or they need a crucial read, Blake Bortles has to come up for this team. And it's as simple as that. And this game will be telling of that. Uh, if it's close, at least I- I'm not predicting a blowout, though, if it is a blowout, I would love that nonetheless. So, I mean, I- I'm sure we all would love that. But um, yeah, you know, you're going to have to get him to link up with uh, D.D. Westbrook, who I mean, as, going back to what I said earlier, DD Westbrook is probably the best receiver in this scheme for Blake Bortles for the simple fact that he can make a lot of diving plays when the ball isn't placed perfectly. And, and he has that concentration and that innate ability just to, to make a crazy catch and make crazy plays. So I would look for a, a good dose of DD Westbrook in this game in particular. And, I mean, Keelan Cole, you know, we saw with the first pass that Blake made. Against the Giants, you know, him and Keelan, they have a good, you know, they have a good connection and they, they can make some plays together as well, especially deep. So, um, you know, those guys, you know, they're going to have to step up, of course, too. But Blake is going to have to throw some accurate passes to those guys to get it done. But I think those three as a trio can can really be a key in this game, as well as Austin Severian Jenkins, who they haven't really used that much, which is weird because he had a, a phenomenal uh, start to the the off season, and then we got the training camp, you know, he kind of disappeared. But, you know, this is a good time to try and get him involved as well, more in the game or in the game plan as well. So I guess time will tell uh, what exactly the Jaguars do to to defeat the Patriots, hopefully this time around. But I mean, the tools are there. Uh, in terms of Tom Coughlin and, and Perry Fewell being there to to go back and look back at what needs to be done and what needs to be corrected and the adjustments that need to be made to defeat the Patriots as opposed to what happened in the AFC championship. So I'm excited for it. I can't wait to, uh, to for it to happen. Personally, I might actually go to that game. I don't know. Time will tell, but um I, I will be sure to let you all know on that. And um, later in the week, also, I'll probably have one. my man, Harry McKenna of uh, the Patriots Wire. And I think he's writing for like the Boston Globe in the past before and some some other sites as well. I'm um, very well informed uh, a journalist and, and he runs a great site over there at the Patriots Wire. If you guys need any Patriots news, feel free to check that out. Patriots wire.usatoday.com probably will have him on like tomorrow or Thursday or something where we talk one-on-one about the Patriots and Jags and, um, you know, get some, some more analysis out there for you all. So aside from that, you know, that'll pretty much do it for the Jags Dan podcast. As I said, I was going to try and keep this one brief. I don't really know where I'm at in terms of a time limit right now, uh, because uh, Band is kind of messing up here, but it is being recorded <laughs> nonetheless. And, um, yeah, so in terms of, uh, content and, and what to expect going forward in terms of this week, you know, we're going to have much like last week, um, a lot of insight on the Patriots on our site. And again, if, um, you know, you want some, some insight from a Patriots perspective or a journalist that, uh, that covers them just head on over to patriotswire.com so yeah we're gonna have some matchups to watch on jaguars Wire. some um probably some more keys uh for victory and some x factors for the jags in in terms of this game against the patriots and 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 much more so stay tuned for that on the site um feel free to go when you go to the jaguars wire you can actually set notifications and what we do is like my most important articles, I'll set those up for notifications if you're running the site through a desktop or going to it through a desktop. So that way, uh, when I put up a, a notable article or a, an important article, uh, it they'll send a notification to you to click on and, and you can go from there. So check that out. We also got the um, the sports wire app for all of these sports wire sites, not just the NFL ones, but also the basketball ones and uh All of the um, NFL wire sites by USA Today, all on one app. Just look us up sports wire on Apple or or Android, whichever device you have. I don't think we're on Windows yet, uh, but um, we probably will get that sooner rather than later. And lastly, as I said in the beginning of the podcast, you all know where to find this personal podcast. The Jags Dan podcast, the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. On multiple outlets, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Boom, you name it. Feel free to check us out. So uh, that being said, we're going to be signing out here. Hopefully I can get the guys in on another episode. And also somebody I forgot to shout out in the beginning of the podcast, Jackson Freiberger, who has been helping me out so much and um, has been generously giving us his time, especially on game day. Follow him at Jax Freiberger on um, Twitter as well Um, also he's with UGA wire so feel free to check out his content there and uh, that will pretty much do it so until next time everybody out there be safe and go Jags